You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual When I was working on my book, American Savage, I wrote a big chapter on Obamacare. The title of that chapter was Still Evil, Less Evil, But Still Evil because our profit-motive-driven health care system in this country harms a lot of people. And that was truer before Obamacare, but it is still true under Obamacare. People are still being harmed. People are still being driven into bankruptcy. Some people by design still don't have health insurance. We're constantly talking about how great it is that children can now – and this is an Obamacare provision – that children can now stay on their parents' health insurance plans until they're 26. Implicit in that though is that 26-year-olds, when they turn 27, can lose their health insurance when they get kicked off their parents' health insurance plans. So it's kind of built into the system all over the place. Some people are not going to have health insurance. Even some people who do have health insurance, it will be inadequate and they will be – Front page of the New York Times a couple of weeks ago, driven into bankruptcy by their bills, by their co-pays, even though they have health insurance under Obamacare. But it's a whole hell of a lot less evil than our old system, the one the Republicans want to keep bringing back. This is why, however, I am a supporter, I'm an aggressive, loud supporter of a single-payer health care system like they've got in Canada and Germany and France like most Western industrialized nations provide for their citizens. I'm all for it. One of the interesting things I learned when I was researching health insurance around the world for my book for that chapter was Israel, which in the eyes of the religious right and Republicans can literally do no wrong, has a single-payer health insurance system. We are told by these right-wingers that Israel is the only democracy in the Middle East, our only ally, our practically the 51st state, and they can do literally no wrong. And yet when we tiptoe up to some sort of insurance plan that might insure more Americans. They scream socialism and the death of democracy and tyranny and Stalinism. And yet Israel, their BFF forever, has this. They also have abortions paid for by the state. Israel can do no wrong. I would be fine. Why don't Democrats do this? Why don't Democrats say we just want what Israel has? We would like to adopt Israel's healthcare system as our own. Maybe that would move some Republicans or put them in the awkward position of having to admit maybe once in a while that Israel ain't perfect. Although on this, I think they're actually doing better than we are. Anyway, and now I'm going to pivot to a phone call I got this weekend from a friend of someone whose friend, this friend, they have a friend, who is kind of a big deal politically and kind of a celebrity and is in Iowa stumping for Bernie Sanders and reached out to me via our mutual friend to ask – Why aren't I in Iowa stumping for Bernie Sanders? And would I like to come to Iowa and stump for Bernie Sanders? Human Rights Campaign, the nation's biggest LGBT rights organization, endorsed Hillary Rodham Clinton, HRC, for HRC this week. And they wanted to get some homos down to Iowa to say, HRC, don't speak for me. And I had to politely decline a visit to Iowa for two reasons. First, if you Google me, Dan Savage, and Iowa caucuses and vote fraud, you'll find some really entertaining stuff about trouble I got into in 2000. 
I still think, for the record, it's a little fucked up that Iowa has this caucus system where people just turn up and I against voter IDs, these laws that disenfranchise people, but people don't even have to be registered to vote. They don't have to show their voter registration card. They don't have to be on the rolls. You just show up at a caucus site and say, I live here. You just have to give an address and you can participate. There's no voting in a caucus. You are participating in the caucus. And it just seems crazy to me that at a time when the state is mobbed with volunteers for Hillary, for Bernie, for Cruz, for Rubio, for Bush maybe, that all of these volunteers could just drive off to some caucus site and caucus. Not just encourage others to caucus but caucus themselves. Anyway, so I went to a caucus in 2000 and I caucused and this was illegal and I was charged with a felony. And you can get online and you can read all about what happened if you care to. So there's that reason why I'm a little shy perhaps about showing up in Iowa, about showing my face in Des Moines during a, a caucus. I don't want them to arrest me for old time's sake. Also, I find myself once again in this very strange position. It was a position I was in in 2008 that made me unpopular with my husband and a lot of other people. And I'm in that position again. In 2008, when people would ask me if I was for Hillary or for Barack, I would say, yes, yes, I am for Hillary or Barack or both. I would support a Hillary Barack or Barack Hillary ticket and passionate Puma Hillary supporters would yell at me, including my husband and Obama supporters would yell at me because that wasn't good enough. I needed to get with the Obama program. I needed to get with the excitement and I was excited about Obama, but I was also fine with Hillary. And here I am eight years later, excited about Bernie Sanders and fine with Hillary and not wanting to have to choose. So I, at this moment in the campaign, just before the Iowa caucuses, to which I've now been invited to come campaign and I have declined. I'm in this awkward position again where I am for both of them. Whoever you pick, Democratic primary voters and Democratic caucus goers, whoever you pick, Hillary or Bernie or both in the end, fine with me. So long as Martin O'Malley isn't on the ticket, I am fine with it. And how do I square that with my support for single pair, which Bernie has made really the focus of his campaign, I don't. I can't. And I don't think I should have to. I would like us to continue to move in the direction of single payer. I think Hillary, if she gets in, will continue to move us in that direction. It would be great if Bernie had such amazing coattails, if he were the nominee, that he would flood the House and Senate with progressive, liberal, radical, socialist Democrats who would bring to us what Israel has enjoyed almost since its founding – single-payer socialized medicine, I think that's unlikely to happen. So I'm for both. I can't imagine I'm the only one out there who's for both. What I don't want to see is what happened in 2008, which is when Obama got the nomination, a lot of Hillary supporters said that they were going to sit out the election because they were so angry that Hillary had been denied the nomination. We don't have that luxury. And in the end, Hillary supporters – when you looked at the polls, except for a handful of high-profile Pumas, which stood for party unity, my ass, Hillary supporters went to the polls and voted for Obama, who then turned around and appointed Hillary to be his secretary of state. But you're hearing rumblings from Bernie supporters that if he doesn't get the nomination, they're going to sit it out, which is idiotic and dangerous. The lesser of two evils is less evil. Obamacare. 
less evil than what we had before. Well, evil, less evil. And so I supported it and I still support it. And you may regard Hillary Clinton as more of a corporatist, as more mainstream, as having all sorts of demerits and faults. But compared to Ted Cruz, compared to Donald Trump, compared to Marco Rubio, compared to any one of the idiots, Carly Fiorina, who are running for the Republican nomination, fucking less evil, a lot less evil. And so Bernie supporters, and I say this as 50% a Bernie supporter myself, if Hillary gets the nomination, you're going to vote for Hillary. And who knows, maybe Hillary will turn around and appoint Bernie to be Secretary of Health and Human Services or the head of the Consumer Protection Agency. And we'll have a little replay of 2008. There is simply too much at stake, primarily the Supreme Court, for people to pout and sit in a corner and not show up to vote because their guy or their girl didn't get the nomination. Google Ruth Bader Ginsburg and cancer. I realize that's dark, but Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the notorious RBG, and I love her, is not immortal and will have to perhaps in the next president's term be replaced. And if you don't want to see conservatives gain a lock on the Supreme Court and do more damage to our democracy than the conservative block on the Supreme Court has already done with Citizens United and gutting the Voting Rights Act, you are going to march into that voting booth and you're going to vote for the Democratic nominee in the end, whoever it is, Hillary or Bernie or both. All right. Coming up on today's show, we got Bailey J here to answer some of your questions and me answering tons of your other questions. Hey, Dan. I just hung out with my best friend and I love him to death, but he's very conservative and I'm not liberal. I like the like Bernie Sanders, but I would accept Hillary Clinton and certainly happily vote for her and am scared to death of all of the Republican candidates. But we talk and we drink and we argue about abortions and women's rights and Obamacare. And I never walk away feeling like I am in the absolute right. I feel like he knows what he's talking about and, and how the costs of my health coverage have gone up because they have. And that abortion is a option and that there are other ways. And, and I'm walking into a landmine. Even the sense of how we shouldn't get to the point where women should have abortions because we should be more respectful of sex and we shouldn't be having sex until marriage. And I, I wonder if there's a, just a mindset that I have been raised with and feel is right, that is the liberal mindset and that the conservative mindset is valid, that it exists and that there's a reason for it and that politics and news and, and media distort messages which are important. This would never make me vote for any of them. I think they're horrible, horrible people. But is there a validity to conservative thought and conservative argument? A validity to conservative thought and conservative argument when it comes to let's take Obamacare and abortion. All right. Healthcare costs are going up. Your healthcare costs have gone up since Obamacare. 
Yeah, healthcare costs were going up before Obamacare, and healthcare costs have continued to rise after Obamacare. But healthcare costs are rising more slowly than healthcare costs were before Obamacare. Obamacare has bent, not reversed, the healthcare cost curve. Also, with Obamacare, millions and millions of people who didn't used to have health insurance. Now have health insurance. Also with Obamacare, the pre-existing conditions bullshit racket scam is over. A healthcare, a health insurance provider can't deny you coverage for, say, lung ailments because you had asthma as a child, which I had happen to me when I went out looking for health insurance as a young adult. I could basically get covered for everything I didn't need coverage for potentially when I was looking for private health insurance. Obamacare undid that, right? I was basically told I couldn't get coverage for anything I might need coverage for. When I looked into buying health insurance for myself on the private market, I had asthma as a kid, so nothing respiratory. I had a gut issue as a kid, so nothing gut. I had I was gay and open about it, so they wouldn't they were going to not cover anything HIV related. They were basically offering to cover my pap smears or any other unexpected pregnancies I might have, but everything else was off the fucking table. Obamacare undid that. So yeah, Obamacare is not perfect. I wrote a whole chapter in my book, American Savage, called Still Evil, Less Evil, But Still Evil, about Obamacare, about our new health insurance system. Still evil, a lot less evil. The lesser of two evils when you compare what was before to what is now. What the duplicity of the conservative argument is they point to the flaws in Obamacare without acknowledging that there were flaws in the system that it did not replace but built upon. And this Obamacare system was a conservative think tank idea. It was the right-wing Heritage Foundation's idea. I always do this. When you get an argument a conservative about Obamacare, you look at them and as a liberal, you say, I'm for single payer. You guys were for this. This is your idea. You defend it. And I'll sit here and listen. And my response when you point out the flaws in the Obamacare system is, yeah, you're right. Let's have single payer. Because if they're arguing to go back to what was before, millions of people losing their health insurance, healthcare costs rising at a faster rate than they are now under Obamacare, you can really show them that they are full of shit on this issue. As for abortion as an option, People shouldn't be having sex until marriage. Okay, whatever. People have never waited to have sex until marriage. 95% of Americans are not virgins on their wedding nights. And this idea that there was a time when everybody waited until marriage to have sex, also known as The Way Things Never Were. It's a terrific book by Norman Finkelstein about this idea that we were all so much better behaved in the good old days and we were not. You might want to hand that book to your conservative friend. And if your friend thinks the clincher argument, we can avoid abortions if we all just wait to have sex until marriage, you might want to ask him if he's a virgin himself or if this is just a prescription for others. The clincher argument is most women who seek abortions are already mothers, have children at home. Most of them already have partners at home. So this isn't something that just happens to unmarried young people who impulsively had sex without using contraception. And contraception methods fail. What then? And as we have seen in countries where abortion is illegal and in the United States when abortion was illegal, women will get abortions anyway. Look at Texas where the state legislature has done all it can to effectively make abortion difficult if not impossible to obtain in that state. And what has happened? Mother Jones headline, 
up to 240,000 women have tried to give themselves abortions in Texas. We're still going to have abortions. What kind of abortions are we going to have? That is the question. So the argument that some right-wingers want to have is should we or should we not have abortion? And actually the argument we must have is the abortions we're going to have and we're going to have them, what kind are they going to be? Safe and legal? And if we make contraception more widely available and more easily available as they have just done in Oregon where you can now buy the pill over the counter in pharmacies, rare. Safe, legal and rare. So yeah, I don't think much of your friends' arguments. And if you gave a little more thought to these issues yourself, you wouldn't be so easily seduced by your friends' bullshit arguments. Hi, Dan. I know you usually answer questions about uh, romantic and sexual relationships, but I'm hoping you can still help me. Bad roommate situation. Roommate just up and left on Sunday with no notice. Uh, so I'm having to move out of my place, but also she owes me a lot of money because part of the problem was that she had an old sick cat that I was ending up taking care of because she wasn't. And so, you know, on the way out the door, she said, PayPal me. I put in a PayPal request. I've still seen nothing. Some of my friends are on the periphery of her social circle, so I don't know if them putting pressure on the situation is the best thing to do. Should I take her to small claims court? Should I just say goodbye to the possibility of that money? I wouldn't be so worried about it, um, but I live paycheck to paycheck, and she's got a cushy tech job, so I know she can afford it, um, and I could use it to pay on my credit card. So I just don't know what what's the best option for me here. Where the fuck is this sick cat now? Uh, with my roommate who moved out. Okay, I'm confused as to why you were paying the vet bills for her sick cat if you're living paycheck to paycheck and she has a cushy tech job. Um, that confused me too. I wasn't actually paying the vet bills, but I was buying like, you know, puppy pads and stuff and like an extra litter box and like uh-huh. the feel away stuff to well, plug in to like try to like calm the cats down. So wait, wait, were you... But she just didn't take the cat to the vet for like a month. So you never paid a vet bill. You just bought some extra shit for the cat out of your own free yeah. will? Like you did that yourself? Right. She didn't ask you to buy shit for her cat? Um, Like, no, but I mean, the cat was peeing on the floor and like it was going to, I was cleaning it like three times a day. So I didn't know what else to do. Well, there was always the option of throwing the cat out a window, but I'm a heartless bastard when it comes to incontinent cats. I hate to go all Judge Judy Scheindlin on you, but I don't think if you took her to small claims court and you ended up on Judge Judy that Judge Judy would decide in your favor because it sounds like you spent this money without consulting your roommate about whether you're going to spend this money on her cat and your shared living environment. And you shouldn't have had to spend this money. You should have gone to her and said, buy some pads, take care of your cat, look at our apartment. And again, and just as why were you buying this shit for her cat? Why were you cleaning up after her cat? Leave the pee on the floor with a note for her to clean it up. Yeah. I just, I mean, I just felt like I couldn't like live in an environment where that was a thing. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, and I didn't know like how many, you know, weeks or whatever it would take her to clean it up. And then of course, if the cat pees on the floor and you don't clean it up, then it's just going to like smell bad. Think that that's the new litter box. Did she do you a favor when she moved out? 
How long would you have continued to live with this woman if she hadn't moved out? I know you're terribly inconvenienced. You're out some money for some shit you wouldn't have had to buy if your jerky and considerate roommate didn't have a sick cat that she wasn't taking care of. But better to be rid of this woman as a roommate and be rid of her awful yeah. cat, even right. at the cost of the inconvenience to you and being out the money that you spent sure. of your own free will. Yeah. I mean, you can send her a bill, like morally, perhaps you could make an argument that she owes you this right. money. But she, sure. you know, if if I had a roommate who was running around buying things for my gerbils without talking to me about it, I wouldn't feel on the hook for that money, even if my gerbils were on fire. Right. Which they probably would be because I don't like gerbils. Yeah. And I, like, I tried to talk to her, but I mean, she just wouldn't have anything to do with it. So, I mean, if I felt like we could have had a conversation about the cat, you know, of course I would have done that, but she just wasn't responding to any of my attempts to communicate and we worked like opposite schedules. So I never knew when we were going to be in the apartment. You're going to have to say goodbye to this money because somebody who neglects her cat, her ill cat, that right. in theory at least she loves is not going to respond to her ex roommate about the pee pads sure. she bought of her own free will <laughs> for her sick cat. Right. So kiss it. Goodbye. Lesson learned. Don't make this mistake in the future. I won't. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I can't I can't be That's Judge okay. Judy and rule in your favor and order order right. the, the the crazy ex roommate to give you the goddamn money, but I can't. Right. Not only can't I order sure. her to, I don't think that I should, even if I could. Sure. Because it sounds like a mistake of you course. made. Because you're a good person, and you're you're filled with right. empathy and compassion for this poor neglected sick cat, and a desire, of course, not to live in an apartment that reeks of cat piss. Right. Like, 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 I think you're in the right in a lot of ways, but you're not going to see this money sure. ever again. Um, bye. Thanks. Well, sure. Thanks for calling me back. You're welcome. Hi, Dan and the uh, tech savvy at risk youth. So I lent my now ex-girlfriend my butt plug and uh, I was wondering what is the etiquette for getting that back? It is an enjoy, so obviously there's no issues for, you know, spreading anything. But and we're pretty on we're on okay terms, but you know, I'd like it back and it seems kinda awkward. Should I even try? Should I just get myself a new one? Yeah, what do you think? I was gonna advise you when you first mentioned that your ex had possession of your butt plug just to go buy another one because butt plugs are cheap and butt plugs are plentiful. But then you mentioned it's an enjoy butt plug and enjoy for those of you who are not familiar with this high end line of insertable sex toys are made out of polished stainless steel. They are gorgeous and beautiful and expensive. So I think it's worth it in this instance because a new enjoy butt plug could set you back or a new enjoy dildo could set you back 50, 75, 100, 200 bucks for you to give the ex-girlfriend a call, particularly since you guys are lesbian exes and you clearly have the lesbian ex superpower of still being on good terms, still being in touch and saying, you know, when you give her a call saying, you know, about that butt plug, kind of like that back. You can keep the cats. I want the plug. Now, for those of you who are concerned about what sex toys might be made out of, whether it's actually silicone you're getting, whether it has phylates in it or some dangerous chemical, 
don't skimp. If you're going to get an insertion toy and use it a lot and you can afford it and you can swing it, it's worth investing in something like an Enjoy butt plug. And this is not an ad on the podcast. This is just a heartfelt endorsement of their product line. They are amazing and easy to clean and you don't have to worry about chemicals. You don't have to worry about pores or seams where gook or bacteria can get trapped. They are terrific and they are expensive, but they and your butt are both worth it. And sometimes I talk to people who are stressed out about what might be in a butt plug or a dildo and you say to them, well, you have these options where you are sure these really high-end silicone toys or something like Enjoy and people freak out about the price. They want the safety of a completely legit, uh, not fly-by-night, not some mystery factory in China sex toy, but they don't want to spend the money. Sometimes to have that assurance that your sex toys are safe for insertion and not going to poison you, you have to be willing to lay out some cash. Hi, Dan. 25-year-old gay male here. Had a two-part question. The first is, I was sexually abused as a child, and I'm seeing therapy for that, so getting over the, the scars, the, most of the scars from that through that, but I still find myself um, panicking when it comes to actual sex sex, and um, I have had a few boyfriends that have tried to, quote, help me relax by, you know, cuddling first and then trying to insert, and, and just no matter what anybody does, I just can't seem to relax at all to where I'm not screaming in pain when it happens. Um, so it's gotten to the point where I'm like <laughs> considering like seeing a hypnotherapist to kind of shut down that part of my brain when it comes to this part. And I hoping you had some idea of other ways to go about this. You know, I've tried the whole play by yourself thing and, you know, you know, try with toys and I just can't get myself to relax no matter what. Then the other thing is that I act fairly masculine in, you know, about in public and when I'm dating a guy and everything. However, when in the bedroom, I like kind of being treated femininely. And because of what's been going on, my last boyfriend suggested that I might be a trans woman and to look into that and I just don't know and you're kind of questioning about that and I don't know what markers or anything to look about. It's an odd situation and if you can give me any answer on anything, I would greatly appreciate it. Uh, first things first, you're not trans. If every guy who likes to be passive in bed or treated femininely in bed, whatever the fuck that means is a trans woman, then the majority of gay men are trans women and the majority of gay men are not trans women. All right? Okay. So unless there's a whole bunch else going on that I believe, and if there were a whole bunch else going on, you would be acutely aware of it. This is not a thing. You are not a trans woman. Well, part of the reason why that came up, which I didn't, I kind of ran out of time in explaining, was um, I suffered a head injury and because of that, uh, my body has uh, stopped producing um, testosterone and um, I can't get certain things to work. And so friends that know about this are all like, well, if it doesn't work anyways, why not? And you like being passive and talk to as if you're a girl, just 
Why don't we must, you know, this is take this as a sign. So the universe arranged for you to have a head injury. So as to encourage you to become a trans woman, that just seems like a reach. Yeah. I have some, extreme new age friends. <laughs> yeah, I would I would set that all aside. And unless you are experiencing some sort of gender dysphoria of your own that comes from inside you, it's not a head injury related or your sexual interests, I would just set that aside and not stress out about that. Okay. The issue though about you you know you having been molested and this inability, I believe, you know, you never say it. I think what you're talking about is you can't get penetrated. You want to have insertive anal sex, you want to be the receptive partner, the penetrated one, which some people would call the feminine role, which I don't, wouldn't call it that necessarily. You can get fucked and be a man. that <laughs> You have a hard time doing that. That's too painful. And you chalk that up to, and you believe that it's related to your experience of trauma, of sexual trauma. Yes. The only reason I, I say that is because I think I, I mentioned it was because I like start to to panic. Mm-hmm. Like I get really anxious and and start and it like my mind starts going like a million miles a minute. And it takes you back or it triggers triggers you and you re-experience this trauma or the reactions you had to times in your past when you were penetrated non consensually. And as a child when you were raped. Yes. Yes. I would encourage you to keep working on this with your therapist. And your counselor, if you want to try hypnotism, I think you should go for it. At some point, though, if you keep working on this and keep working on this and keep working on this and you can't clear that bar, that you can't push through that barrier, you may have to accept that anal penetration isn't for you or isn't for you in the near or long-term future and just set it aside and learn how to have sex and enjoy sex without every time you get into bed with some guy – begin to date with some guy, set this goal of, you know, achieving anal penetration that you are likely to fail right now. Cause then you're just this negative feedback loop where you're just failing at sex and failing at sex and failing at sex because you can't do this one thing that is not sex. That is not all of sex. So leave that thing aside for right now. Find a guy who's cool with oral and mutual masturbation and for the time being, take the pressure off you, you know, take the pressure that you're putting on yourself off yourself by going into it without this expectation, either of attempting it or worry it failing at it. You can be a sexually active, fully self-realized, romantically engaged and involved gay man without having anal sex at all. You know that? Okay. Oh. I guess that was part of my problem is because most of the guys that, you know, come in the dating pool, they're, they're expecting, you know, home runs on the first date, so to speak. Right. And you tell them that that's not on the menu. If they reject you for that good riddance, they're not anyone you want to be in bed with right now or maybe ever. But there are studies that have shown that 25, 30% of gay men never have anal sex at all. But it's not something that they enjoy. And so they don't do it. And if it's not something that you enjoy or it's triggering for you, you can still have a sex life. You can still have a relationship. You can still have a boyfriend without doing that thing. Okay. I'm a little concerned that anal has become 
definitional for gays the way vaginal was always definitional for straights because that vaginal intercourse is sex definitions for straights was really limiting. It really warped people's straight people's sex lives because if you didn't do that, you weren't doing it. And then everything else you might do is regarded as some sort of sad consolation prize. And there was this push to do vaginal intercourse, which resulted also in, I think, a lot of straight people having less sex and less intimacy in their lives than they might otherwise. Because if every time the straight woman says yes to sex, she gets fucked, she might not say yes to sex as often as she would if she could say yes to sex without having to be the penetrated one or get fucked at that moment. And now we have gay men who are, I think, you know, in the wake of the AIDS epidemic, in the wake of encouraging everyone to be safe around anal, it really centered anal in this way where anal became definitional. If you weren't having anal sex, when two men were in bed, you weren't having gay sex. You weren't being gay or good at being gay. And anything else you might do is a sad consolation person. It's just not true. It's not true. So rip that out. Give yourself a break. Give yourself permission to be where you're at right now. Keep working on it. Stay in therapy. Go see a hypnotist. If your therapist thinks that's a good idea, run that by your therapist too. And enjoy the sex that you can enjoy. And if somebody has this expectation when they arrive in your bed that they get to fuck you, disabuse them of that or don't allow someone to arrive in your bed with that expectation. Make sure that they understand that this is something you'd like to do someday, but it's not something you're up for now. Okay. Okay. All right. Good luck to you. I'm really sorry about what happened to you as a child and what's been taken from you right now or and I'm really proud of you that you're working on it so thoughtfully. But give yourself a break. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much for your advice. You're welcome. Hi, Dan. I am a mid-30s woman who has been in a monogamous relationship with a late-30s man for about two years now. Uh, we have a great relationship. Our sex life is fantastic. He is the coolest guy I have ever met. He's smart. He's funny. He's an incredibly hard worker. He loves his family. My family loves him. We have similar goals. Everything is just wonderful in our relationship. The problem is a house. Two years ago, right after we started dating, he finally bought himself a house, which at the time we had just started dating, so it wasn't even on my radar that it would affect me. However, it's been two years and he has yet to move in. He works two jobs, so he's working a lot. He has a full-time job and then a part-time job in the evenings and one day on the weekends. And when he doesn't work, he if he has a night off or something, he'll hang out with me if I'm free, if I don't have schoolwork. But, yeah, it's been two years and he hasn't moved in. I've made it very clear that I love him. He loves me, too. I've made it clear that I would love to have a future with him, hopefully moving in together, maybe leading to marriage. I think that would be wonderful. We would be a great team together, and I would love to build a life with him. He is the coolest guy I know, and we have a great time together. So naturally, it follows that I would want to kind of build a life together. So my question is, what should I do? Have I been patient for long enough? It's been over two years, and he's pretty much not really done much except moved a few boxes into his house. He does his laundry there, but he's never slept there. He, he, he still sleeps at his apartment. 
I think his apartment might be the issue. I've been there a couple times. I've never stayed over. He always stays over at my house. And his apartment is a mess. It is like close to hoarder level messy. Maybe he's overwhelmed with trying to move the things into his house. I've offered to help without judgment, but he just doesn't seem to be getting the picture. He says it's a matter of procrastination. And one of those, the more somebody tells me to do something, the more I'm going to dig my heels in and not do it. Should I just let this go and just keep on with our happy relationship? We don't want kids, so it's not like the clock is ticking in that respect. But I want a life with him, and I think it's unreasonable that he's paying a mortgage and rent for his apartment, and I'm paying rent for my house. What should I do, Dan? Thanks. So just to clarify, for those of you out there who might be as confused as I was the first time I listened to the call, her boyfriend owns a house – or the bank owns it and he's paying the bank off and has an apartment, but mostly spends his time at her place. So they really, this one couple has three households and she wants to know what to do about it. All right, caller, you say you would like to have a future with him to build a life with him. Those things are possible. Even if you don't live together, I know couple, I know married couples who have separate domiciles. I know married couples who maintain separate households and separate apartments because living together wasn't, Good for them. They loved each other, but they needed to be able to retreat to their separate spaces. The first couple I ever met like that lived in Strasbourg, France, and they had two apartments in the same building, and their daughter sort of bounced back and forth between their apartments, had rooms in both apartments, and they were totally in love and a wonderful couple, but just she needed her apartment and he needed his apartment, and when they tried to live together, it was a bad scene. I'm thinking it might be a bad scene if you actually got this guy to move in with you. Seeing as he is a borderline hoarder, if I were dating someone who was a hoarder, I might want them in my space, but I wouldn't want my space to be their space. Something to think about. Maybe after two years, you could talk about this with a couples counselor. Maybe the apartment and the house is evidence of some sort of cliche, straight guy, fear of commitment, crapola. He can't even commit to one place to live. Maybe he can't commit to you. Maybe maintaining this apartment full of shit is one way of preventing him from moving in with you because he'll never be able to undo that disastrous mess and sort through that mess. Who knows what's up with him? Only he does and maybe he doesn't even understand what's up with him and can't articulate it, which is where a decent couples counselor might be the intervention that you need and not a mouthy faggot with a sex advice podcast. Hi, Dan, a 23-year-old homosexual male. I've never had a boyfriend. I've never been on a date. And in turn, I am a virgin. And I'm not so sure what I'm doing wrong. And I'm just looking for any words of guidance that you have. I'm outgoing and I know a lot of people and I guess I would consider myself at least moderately attractive. And I put myself out there and I just have never had any luck and I feel like sometimes I feel like it's because I'm attracted to the wrong people. I find myself generally attracted to straight guys, which is a very big problem. And then that makes me nervous when I'm out because I don't know, you know, how to approach people without 
you know, I don't want to overstep boundaries or make people feel uncomfortable. And um, I just would love to hear what you have to say. And uh, anything will help. (laughs) I've known a few gay guys over the years who were only attracted to straight guys. Some of these gay guys only attracted to straight guys made the mistake of living in college towns. And we're not going to reveal the city where you live. We edited that out of your call, but you're in a college town. And yeah, your options are going to be kind of limited. There's plenty of gay guys in a college town, but college towns are pretty overwhelmingly straight and the straight guys are pretty overwhelmingly young and often hot. And if all you're after are straight guys, you are not going to have much romantic or sexual success. You may bed every once in a while. You may land some straight guy who's not so straight is closeted by or is a closeted gay guy and still straight identified. And those guys, if you're out and gay, aren't much fun to date. They're not going to treat you very well. They're not treating themselves very well around the issue of their homosexuality or their bisexuality. And typically people who don't treat themselves well around those issues don't treat the people that they express their homosexuality or bisexuality with very well either. You have to rip into the motherboard in your brain and tear this shit out. Whatever internalized homophobic messages you got from the culture about the relative worth, value, or desirability of gay men compared to straight men, you need to consciously unlearn that. That is an act of will. You will have to will it. Or if you can't change that thing about yourself, if you're really only ever going to be attracted to straight guys, you have signed up for – The life you're currently leading, you're sacrificing your sex life, sacrificing your romantic prospects, romantic life, potentially your marital life for this, for a desire that can never be realized, a desire that's self-negating because if a straight guy gets into bed with you, he's poof, not a straight guy anymore. Also heard from those gay guys. They're attracted to straight guys until the minute that straight guy that they were attracted to is sucking their dick. And then they're not so attracted to that straight guy anymore. I mean by self-negating. Like the caller who's having trouble with penetration because of a history of sexual trauma who's working with a therapist. I would encourage you to go work with a therapist on this. There are plenty of masconormative, masculine normative. I don't know what to call them. Plenty of the – awful term you sometimes see in gay personal ads, straight acting gay guys out there, they're out there. There's so many of them out there that straight acting gay guy is a cliche and a thing and a travesty, if you ask me. Not that it's a travesty to be a sort of normative masculine dude who happens to be gay, not a travesty or a tragedy at all, but to be a dude who's gay who describes that as straight, as if That sort of normative masculinity is the sole province of heterosexual males, which it is not. That's a tragedy and a travesty. Those guys are out there. There are guys out there who may be straight enough to pique your interest and gay enough to suck your dick. Your mission is to go find them and make sure you're in a place when you do find them that you're not doing that self-negating tragic thing. And suddenly seeing that guy is not attractive at all and not straight at all anymore – once he's sucking your dick or you're sucking his. Hi, Dan. I'm a bisexual woman in my 20s, and I have a question about my relationship with this guy I've been hooking up with. Two and a half years ago, we were in the same friend circle and started hooking up. Problem was, he was dating a good friend of mine at the time. 
And they had a monogamous agreement, so he was cheating on his girlfriend with me, her close friend. At the time we first hooked up, she was out of the country, and he told me that they were going to break up as soon as they got back. Though still shitty, it made me feel a little bit better um, about what we were doing. However, they didn't end up breaking up, and except for the very occasional drunk makeout, we stopped hooking up. However, a few months later, my friend did eventually find out. It was a huge shit show, and I felt really, really bad. It was probably one of the like worst things I've ever done, and I've felt horrible about it for years since. However, uh, she and I did basically dissolve our friendship, um, and though she did continue to have an on-again, off-again relationship with this guy. So fast forward two years, or two and a half years to now, we have all moved to other parts of the country, had relationships with other people, and just have generally moved on with our lives. I only see them when I'm home for the holidays or other breaks, and this guy hits me up for sex pretty regularly, um, and I would love to hook up with him again. However, the girl sees me at parties or here I'm in town and asks me not to hook up with him or talk to him, etc. We've all moved on and really aren't friends anymore at this point in our lives. My question is, do I owe it to her not to hook up with this guy? Would it be shitty of me to hook up with him because of our past history, even though they've been officially broken up for at least a year? Or is she being overly controlling and what this guy and I do now is none of her business? You're not really friends anymore, the three of you, and you all live in different parts of the country now. How's your other ex-friend or former friend, the woman, going to find out you fucked this dude if you fuck him and you should fuck him and you have every right to fuck him? Unless you splatter the news all over Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Keep him off your social media platforms if you really need to protect her from the news that someone she isn't in a relationship with anymore and really isn't even friends with anymore is fucking someone else she isn't friends with anymore and isn't really in a relationship with anymore. Fuck the dude. Hi there, Dan. I'm a 48-year-old gay male living in the West. And I have a question about a kink, which I think is a little extreme, and I just wanted to have you validate whether or not I'm too conservative in my approach. I recently met a really cool uh, bisexual married male who plays on the side, and he finally confided in me that he's into zoo, which is evidently sex with animals. And his particular kink is female horses and ponies. Now, his claim is that the ponies and horses like it, and they actually eat their hay while in the stall during this act. He also went on to tell me that 99% of the men that participate in this kink with him are heterosexual, and he's one of the few bi um, males who participate in this activity. Now, most of these guys are not exclusively zoo, according to him. They also have sex with their human partners. Um, and some of the guys evidently are exclusively what he calls zoo, meaning they only have sex with animals. Now, I try to consider myself to be a liberal. I try not to sex judge or sex shame anyone, but this seems a little extreme to me. And I know it's illegal in some states. I'm just wondering... If it really doesn't hurt the animal and he claims it feels incredible, I don't know. I just am struggling with, should I forget this guy and move on? He's he's a great guy otherwise, and I enjoy the sex with him, but uh, this just seems like something I can't get my head around. 
The horses and ponies may like it, but the horses and ponies cannot consent to it, says the sex advice columnist who had chicken for lunch. I may have to recuse myself on this one because I have such a visceral reaction to zoophilia that I don't think I can handle it fairly, rationally, impartially. I would direct you, if you want a longer discussion of this, a more thoughtful discussion of this, to the terrific uh, sex writer Jesse Baring and science writer Jesse Baring's to his book Perv, The Sexual Deviant in All of Us, where he talks about this very subject. He also wrote a blog post at Scientific American or a long piece – not just a blog post at Scientific American called Animal Lovers, Zoophiles Make Scientists Rethink Human Sexuality. And there you would find a more even-handed from Jesse, a more Jesse Baring. And there from Jesse Baring, you will find a more dispassionate, scientifically informed, data-driven discussion of your boyfriend's sexual interests. From me, you're just going to get, yeah, no, I wouldn't keep fucking the dude. I wouldn't let somebody touch me with a dick that had been in a horse that day or that week or that month or that year. And I don't think I would feel comfortable in bed with someone who, if they were pursuing this interest, would have the piss poor judgment just to blurt all this out. Perhaps he's spending a little too much time with his fellow zoophiles, but he has to know on some level that this is going to be a deal breaker for most people. And that leads me to believe that this is the most important aspect of his sexuality. If he's willing to risk his relationship with you by disclosing that, that this is his primary and overarching interest is pony pussy. And I would feel if I were in your shoes that he was attempting to draw me into the pony pussy scene or wanted my tacit or enthusiastic or active support for his sexual interests and pony pussy, and I wouldn't be able to offer that to him. So for those reasons, I would end this relationship if I were you. But I ain't you, and you get to make your own choices. And again, you might want to go read Jesse Baring on the subject of bestiality and zoophilia while you're making up your mind. Hi, Dan. I'm a married woman, and I've been married for 10 years, uh, and I'm my relationship is really great. It's really, we're still having great sex and I love him so much. But I started exchanging photos with a coworker. It's really hot, I have to say. And I don't want to stop. I don't want to cheat on my husband. And I think that if my husband found out about this, he would be upset. So I don't want to tell him about it. So my question is, should I keep doing it? Or should I stop? And because I'm having so much fun with this, it makes me think that maybe I could be a cam girl. And if I were to try something like that, do you have any recommendations on how I could get started? Bailey J is a transsexual porn star and occultist and a regular webcammer and phone sexer, a hilarious and prolific tweeter, but not for much longer, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm hanging it up. <laughs> why? Before we get to the call and the caller and her question, why are you hanging up your, your Twitter spores? You're so good on Twitter. So funny. The people, it's funny. People love my tweets, but, um, and I'm, and I might, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm still going to use it as a promotional tool, but it's a part of my everyday life. And instead of me thinking about things and saying them and saving them for later and writing, I'm just constantly tweeting. Uh... So I'm just going to not tweet. And it hurts. Uh, my 
body. It like hurts my soul to be on there. So I'm going to not do it. Okay. I might have to join you in that. I think it's time for me to take a little Twitter break too, but, <laughs> but you know, but, but anyway, this is what, this is what I wanted you to talk about. Let's talk about this woman and what she's doing. Uh, that she's okay. been in this relationship for 10 years and she suddenly has this sexy pastime, which is sort of being one person's own individual porn star swapping these dirty yeah. pics with this kid from work. And she's really enjoying it. And her question for you and I to tackle together is, is it wrong of me to keep the secret from her husband of 10 years that she has this ongoing digital flirtation with some younger dude from work? I, I love her, by the way. <laughs> I love her too. She seems so self-aware and just emotionally intelligent and sexy. I was just like, I want to swap pictures with this chick. Like, and the question kind of is, like, do you have a right as a longtime married person to have a sexual secret, even to have a kind of secret sexual flirtation and to, for it to have a digital component, those photographs, that turns you on without having to run home as if a relationship is a deposition and answer every question and disclose it, proactively disclose it. Do we have a right in committed long-term relationships to some slightly secret life? She has a right as an adult, in my opinion. I, I, I'm that bad person who doesn't take relationships seriously, especially if they're based on people not getting their feelings hurt. Mm -hmm. And, uh, this is an adult we're talking about. <laughs> and, uh, and being married or in a long-term relationship can't erase that. That's just, I mean, we can, uh, marriage is an illusion. And I, I hate to be that person to say I don't take that stuff seriously, but I just uh, don't. If, if, the, if everyone's so petrified someone's going to get their feelings hurt, that's hardly the end of the world. And it, it, I, I think we sound so cold-hearted, but really I, I've come to that conclusion in my own life that I'm just like, you know what? Maybe this isn't a super big deal. To have a secret. To have a secret or to, it's not even a secret. It's, 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 and my, uh, from my understanding, it's omission because it's just a, it's just a thing that's happening. That's not a threat to anything. So. Mm -hmm. But is it, is it, really, is it really not a threat? Because, you know, if I was swapping photographs endlessly with some hot 20 something kid from work that I wanted to fuck the shit out of, eventually I would want to <laughs> upgrade from looking at pictures of his dick to being in the presence of, in the flesh, in real life of his dick. Right. Right. There's only so long I can smell a steak before I take a bite. I, I want to ask a scary question here. So then you have sex with this person. Does, does the sky fall? Does, every, does, do you, does your partner become hideously ugly to you? And it is, is that, is that, is it omit? And I'm and it's kind of devil's advocate because I get it. Feelings get hurt. But why are we so trained to think that feelings getting hurt or feeling less sexy compared to another person is going to make you burst into flames and die. Well, some, you know, if you've made a monogamous commitment, you should endeavor to keep it. You know, maybe there would be no harm in fucking somebody else. And, and I've said for years that if you're with somebody for 50 years and they only cheated on you a handful of times, they were good at monogamy, not bad at monogamy. And implicit in that <laughs> statement is, yeah, once or twice over the course of a long-term committed relationship or marriage, I think it's okay to, to go fuck somebody else. But you, what if she fucks him and comes home with chlamydia or gonorrhea and and has to explain that to the husband who now has it as well. She should have safe sex. She should have safe sex regardless of if it's in or out of her relationship. She should be smart about the sex she has. You know what I mean? Like it's, I don't think there's some God's going to punish you with chlamydia because you went outside your relationship. But that's why God invented I chlamydia. Like, I read that on the right <laughs> website somewhere. That's what it's there for to punish us for cheating on our partners. <laughs> 
said, you know, to make sure your partner doesn't have any STDs before you sleep with them, okay, and, you know, regardless of the circumstances. So your opinion is that it's not only not wrong for her to keep the secret of the sex, the secret of the, the dirty photographs, that it wouldn't be wrong for her necessarily to fuck this kid and keep that secret, too. I'm awful, right? I don't. I don't mean to be that person. I just want. The, I want everyone. I, to, I just wanted for once to have somebody on the show who's worse than I am on these issues. In, in, the, in the minds of <laughs> listeners who are like, you should never tell anybody it's okay to cheat. Because I really don't like all my all my okays to cheat come with these carve outs and caveats and conditions. And you're like, go for it. Well, I guess I just don't take. You know, wait here. So let me. I'll backpedal a little bit out of fear of, of, of really hurting anybody's feelings or making anybody angry at me. Don't do anything that's going to make you feel uncomfortable on your own, feeling guilty. Don't make yourself feel guilty. Don't drive your, you know, don't do anything that you feel is morally wrong, but, and then maybe don't cheat on your partner. Maybe, maybe reassess your boundaries if, if that's what you want to do. But, but I don't have this like reverential respect default setting for monogamy that everybody has. I just don't have it at this phase in my life. It's, because I don't think it's that profound to not let someone sleep with another person out of insecurity. I, I don't think that is profound. And I actually think it's dangerous. And I've been saying recently, and I need to write this down somewhere and just stop saying it out loud, is that what we have to face up to and what we're learning about long, long-term relationships is we can have stable, committed relationships or monogamous ones, but not both. <laughs> that the monogamous yeah, ones seem to tend to fall apart when people you know, the desire fades, the lust fades, or just the desire for some something new or strange or some variety of different experience. People will sabotage and monkey wrench the relationship that they're in to get out of it to go have something new and exciting in their life. And if we, the only way right. to like save the relationship and have that too is to jettison the monogamy and not jettison the spouse. Right. Well, and, and it sounds like this person does think monogamy is important. I mean, it sounds like they're, in, at least it sounds like they're in a monogamous relationship. So I said, I do respect people's wishes. If they consciously want to be in a monogamous relationship, it's far be it for me to poo-poo someone intentionally being monogamous. You're in porn. Yeah, I'm in porn. I look at porn. Maybe the way for <laughs> her to think about this uh, and the way for her to roll it out to the husband, if it's ever discovered is people look at porn, they get horny, sometimes they masturbate, but it just sort of jazzes them up and that redounds to the benefit, you know, under the best circumstances of the partner that they go home and fuck the shit out of. I went to some bar and I flirted with some hot guy and then I went home and fucked you because I was so horny, mm -hmm. I was so cranked up by the affirmation, the attention, and so aroused. And so that was to your benefit ultimately, even if you wouldn't have wanted to see me flirting with that guy at the bar. And here you are flirting with this guy at work and it's cranking you up. You're getting aroused and you're going home, call her. And who are you fucking? Not the guy from work. You're fucking your husband. So even if right. you know he might not want to know why he's benefiting from all this horniness and, and the sex that you two are having, he may not want to know what sparked that horniness, but he's benefiting from it. So if it ever comes out, you could say, yeah, I flirted and then came home and fucked the shit out of you. So the flirt with this other guy was – Good for you too. Good for us. Well, yeah, there's there's a huge benefit to that, and I and I think um, her in her specific case, if she sounds so self aware and so emotionally intelligent and so sexy and cool, that it it kind of bummed me out that I have an adult woman saying, "Hey, I'm doing this amazing thing that's making me feel amazing and happy that I don't really have to think about, but because I'm in a relationship, I have to think about it and be neurotic about it and not do it." Mm -hmm. And I'm like. 
Well, so maybe that's kind of why I jump on the like fuck monogamy thing because I hear this awesomely cool, just kind of, I don't know, she sounds so self-assured, but then she's like, maybe I shouldn't do the thing I like because of the thing that society's uh, doing. And I'm like, oh, that's a bummer. Or this thing I like doing could cause problems for me in this thing that I value very much, which is my marriage. Right. How do I weigh those competing thing I like and thing I value interests? But why are those the values of maybe their relationship? Like, I, I, I think we, I'm very pro kind of stripping away conditioned thinking and illusion and, and kind of peeling the onion as it were is like, why do, but why are these the values of my relationship? But why would this hurt my partner? Let's really, let's dissect jealousy. Let's dissect oh. monogamy and to see if it's not really that profound. I'm right there with you. And I, you know, I look at this and, you know, if my husband were doing this and he probably is right now, wherever he is, I don't know where he is right now. He's probably doing exactly <laughs> this. And, and I, uh, it's not a problem in our marriage if he should do this because it's not a problem. And so it's one less thing to be a problem in our marriage that this sort of flirting would not be a problem. And it would be wonderful right. if more people could really diffuse these time bombs at the hearts of their marriages around what isn't, isn't cheating. Literally, I took a letter yesterday in the Savage Letter of the Day from somebody who asked, is looking cheating? Like, okay, yeah, looking, looking's cheating. We're all cheaters, so let's get the fuck we are neurotic. We are neurotic little shame apes. <laughs> we are a mess. Okay, moving on to her second question. She might be interested in doing some webcam work. Clearly, what this has awakened in her is a desire to be seen, some exhibitionistic streak. And so she might want to do some webcam work. As a camera yourself, she, do you have advice for her about where to go, who to contact, how to get started? Well, yeah. I mean, I'm on, I'm on, uh, I'm live and then I just go to imlive.com and then I started actually doing, oh, what, uh, Night Flirt, which is really cool because they also have a phone thing. So like it goes to your cell phone, but they don't have your number. There's a barrier between you two and you turn your hotline on and off whenever you want. And like, you just kind of like, talk to dudes and get them off and have a good time. And, and there is a webcam element as, as, as well. And, uh, and it's pretty fun. And it actually sounds like maybe if her partner is down with that aspect, like maybe that would make it more comfortable. She could kind of have her outlet for getting off of strangers and having a good time while also bringing in some money and maybe not stepping on her partner's toes if that's important to her. Uh, hey, Dan, I'm a mid-20s straight male living on the East Coast, and I got a question for you about webcamming. So about six months ago, my wife and I started having sex for this cam site, uh, and we didn't make much money or any money at it, really, but it was super hot and uh, super fun. And it was like totally a positive experience until a few weeks ago, I Googled our username on the site. And I found that a bunch of shady websites had recorded our live shows and were offering them for download. And uh, so these sex shows that we given that we thought would be viewable, you know, in real time once on this one site are now suddenly floating around on the Internet and they're viewable by anyone anytime and they might be out there forever. And this is not cool because it's not really what we signed up for. And I just wanted to know if there's anything we can do to get these illegally recorded videos taken off the Internet. Okay, here's the potential risks or downside of camming. 
you have this couple, they're camming, it's fun and sexy and hot, they're not really in it for the money, they're not making that much money, and they thought that they could do this and it would disappear, but somebody was out there recording it and now it's everywhere and will be on the internet forever. Do you just have to reconcile yourself to that near inevitability that if you're putting your ass online, it's going to stay online forever before you go, before you cam? Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, I mean, obviously I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know the legality of someone recording you and stuff like that, but it, I don't do anything online without assuming it's being recorded mm-hmm. and it sucks. And it's, it's, you can't really have a time machine and kind of undo it if you've already put yourself on cam. But if it helps at all, um, I really like uh, masturbating to archived webcam couples on a tube site. Sometimes it's my guilty pleasure. Uh-huh. So I, it's, you're putting great stuff out there. I mean, it's really nice. <laughs> it's, it's wonderful to kind of have floating around. But I also fully get that it's embarrassing and what if somebody sees it and, and all that kind of stuff. But I'm a very well-known porn star and most of my family has no idea what I do for a living. So I really wouldn't lose sleep over it personally. That's just personally, I wouldn't on a principle, terrible. Someone did that very in, invasive and horrible. Practically speaking, you're probably fine. It's probably an on issue. Right. And any effort to yank that stuff off the internet to go after them with lawyers is going to be a wasted effort because you don't, well, you don't know where their servers are. They could be in the Caribbean. They could be in Russia and everything is endlessly replicable. So even if you get it off one site, it's probably going to pop up on another one somewhere else. Right. And this is something for people to think about, including the previous caller. Think about before you cam is you put your ass on the internet and your ass is going to stay on the internet. Well, exactly. That's why there's still strip clubs. That's why strip clubs are still a thing because they're, they're, I forget there's a book that talks about this kind of like the, how people's comfort levels are in different areas in the sex industry. Uh-huh. And how, so like some girls find it more comfortable being in a physical like element and, and being in, in, uh, you know, being a stripper because, or an escort for that matter, because they are, there's no recording element. There's no, there's no fear of that. And then there's people who find comfort in doing webcam and porn because then there's no physical other person, you know, other than your partner potentially. So the, the risk of permanence versus the safety of some distance, right? Right, exactly. So it it is kind of you know if you're going to do webcam, including the, the left chick, it's it's kind of come to the territory that it could be recorded. But luckily, the internet is like a hundred percent pornography, <laughs> <laughs> and, and also luckily everybody's going to have dirty pictures out there very shortly because everybody's exactly. flirting, everybody's sexting, young, you know, whoever Brad Pitt of the future is, whatever like eighteen year old kid right now is going to be the world's biggest movie star in ten years or 15 years mm-hmm. has sent dirty pictures of his dick to his girlfriends or boyfriends already. And they will surface once exactly. he's famous. And once we're all implicated, once everybody's done it, like smoking pot, then it loses its power. Then people can't completely, you, you're less likely to lose your job. I, I just think there should be a day a year where we all release a dirty photograph online. We all like join hands and jump off the cliff for, you know, for our kids, not because our kids want to see us these dirty pictures, but just to make the world safe for the kids who are already fucking doing this so that people can't be ruined by it. And so I, I think that's so true to this caller. I would say, chill the fuck out. Don't waste any time or effort or energy thinking about it. Anybody who finds it was looking at porn and anyone who tries true. to harm you with it. Well, then it becomes an issue and people, you know, the teachers have lost their jobs for doing porn. Right. 
and that can happen. Right. But I think the the time that that can continue to happen is is running out because everybody is carrying a porn production studio in their pockets and everybody's using it. It's so true. It's that's completely true. And every, everybody, I mean, I can take a phone from anybody and be like, let me go through your pictures, and they're going to say no. <laughs> Antonin Scalia. No, no, no. I have pictures in there. You can't see. <laughs> Bailey J. Thank you so much. It's always such fun talking with you. And thanks for jumping on the phone. Yeah, this is great. Thank you. Hey, Dan. Long time listener. First time caller, mostly because the past couple of years of my life have been a uh, largely uh, abstinent. And that actually is relevant to the story. So I just wanted to share something that happened to me just as a cautionary tale for your viewers, your listeners, and also because uh, the way that these people get away with it is sex shaming, which I think is shitty. So, like I said, I've been out of the scene, any kind of scene, for years now, um, and I recently got settled down in a great new job, I'm happy, and so I started looking at the dating scene again. And I got on to OkCupid, um, and I was talking to this lady, and we had a couple conversations, and we moved to text, and it was going well. And eventually this lady wants to Skype one night. I'm like, okay, sure, what the hell? So I made a new Skype account. And one thing leads to another. She starts getting undressed. I start getting undressed, blah, blah, blah. And then halfway through, she starts screaming at me that she has recorded the video. And she has my number from the text messages. And she's going to send this stuff out to, like, everyone I know if I don't pay her, like, $1,000. Um, and thankfully, I have great family and friends who would just probably give me shit for it. And my job really doesn't give a fuck to, like, who I reveal myself to. And so I told her to fuck off. Uh, but I know other people are not in the same situation I am, so I just wanted to share that with you um, and tell people to be careful with their webcams. <laughs> anyway, uh, and if you have any tips you could share about that kind of stuff, uh, then great. Two things came to mind while I listened to your call. First, that famous New Yorker cartoon of a dog sitting at a computer talking to another dog saying, on the internet, nobody knows you're a dog. On the internet, you have no way of knowing – this is a little more complicated than the New Yorker cartoon caption – but on the internet, you have no way of knowing that the person you're talking to isn't an asshole or isn't an extortionist or isn't a Nigerian prince trying to send you millions and millions of dollars. You just can't – Trust people. On the internet, you can't know that somebody isn't an asshole. Combine that with something that feels too good to be true, probably is. Someone you meet through an online dating app, particularly a woman who wants to rapidly go from chatting on the app to swapping texts to sexting with you over the internet, I think there's a higher likelihood that that person might be not a good person. Not that there aren't tons of good people out there who want to sext quickly or want to Dirty Skype right away, lots and lots and lots. But the odds that that person might be somebody who is looking to tape your conversation, tape that dirty movie you're making for them. There's a huge amateur porn market out there and there are people and I've heard from them in the past who were tricked into masturbating online with somebody that they'd gotten to know through texts and texting and gotten to know through a dating app and found much to their consternation, not an extortionary note or pivot since it happened during the conversation. It was a pivot for you, but they found their videos that they'd made just for fun as a one-off privately with this person on Pornhub, on Xtube, on dirty movie sites. I won't name them, but found their Skype chat uploaded 
their masturbatory session uploaded to the internet without their permission or consent. And once those things are up there, as we said to a caller earlier in the show, once it's out there, it's out there. So you either need to be in the same position this caller is where family and friends won't give a shit, boss doesn't give a shit, or you need to make sure you are Skyping and sexting with someone you can trust. Call it the Anthony Weiner lesson. Hi, Dan. I'm a 32-year-old in California, and I recently got involved in a relationship with a woman. Uh, I'm bisexual and have been in relationships with women before. However, this time around, um, I am older, I have children, I have a business, and I just prefer not to be out uh, of the closet uh, for professional and personal reasons. My girlfriend, however, is is very out. Uh, she doesn't, you know, run screaming from the mountains that she's a lesbian, but uh, it's it's quite obvious. Uh, and I feel like I am letting her down and disappointing her by uh, by upholding my my personal preference of of not being out. Particularly, you know, I don't want to introduce her as my girlfriend to my family or to my friends or let my children, you know, introduce her as, as my girlfriend, uh, as I would, you know, any of my boyfriends I've been very open about. Um, but for some reason, I just I just don't want to bring this uh, out in the open. Uh, and it's never been the case before. When I was younger, I had no problem. And now uh, I just feel like it's a personal matter and I don't need to broadcast who I sleep with. It's funny how this don't want to broadcast who I sleep with standard only kicks in when you're sleeping with a woman. When you were sleeping with a man, you had no problem with introducing the dude to your relatives, your coworkers, your colleagues, your neighbors, allowing your children to describe that person as your boyfriend or your partner. But now that you're dating a woman, you want to keep this private and you say, for some reason, I don't want to bring this all out into the open. Well, I know the reason you don't want to bring it all out into the open. Cowardice and internalized homo and biphobia on your part. I'm surprised that you could find an out lesbian who would put up with this shit. And if your girlfriend had called me, I would advise her to dump the motherfucker already with you being the motherfucker in this instance. Now, I don't want to... Mau Mau, you too badly. I agree that people have a right to choose to be closeted and bottle this shit up if that's the choice that they want to make. I respect the choices people make, but you have to own up to that choice representing a kind of moral and interpersonal relationship failing on your part or failures on your part. You're letting your girlfriend down. You are hurting your girlfriend, who I presume you profess to love. You are hurting her. By not introducing her to your family and friends, by treating her like what? Like a shameful secret because she has a vagina, because she is a woman, as opposed to your exes who were men who presumably had penises. Not all women have vaginas, not all men have penises, etc. You're not the only one who has this, I don't need to broadcast who I sleep with, double standard rattling around in your head. You often hear this from people who are uncomfortable with gays and lesbians and bi people living openly, being out about who we're with, who we're married to, who we're sleeping with. And they say, oh, if you, you know, you don't need to broadcast who you sleep with if you're gay, lesbian, or bi. Meanwhile, let's all sit down and watch the season premiere of The Bachelor tonight where people are broadcasting who they fucking sleep with. Let's watch Yes to the Dress. Let's go to our friend's wedding shower. Let's go to our sister's wedding. Let's participate in the marital industrial complex 
and go see this week's romantic comedy and we'll just wallow in a culture of straight people constantly broadcasting who they're sleeping with and it's just the air we breathe so we're not even conscious of it. And then this double standard kicks in when gay, lesbian or bi people basically live the same way that straight people do. Not going, oh, this is the person I fuck and here are the positions and when you like to see the videos on my iPhone of us fucking, but just this is my girlfriend. No straight person would hesitate to say this is my boyfriend, right? Because what's a boyfriend in the eyes of your colleagues and friends? Why it's a potential long-term romantic partner, potential father figure to your children. And there's all these ways in which we perceive opposite sex couples as playing roles in each other's lives that aren't explicitly sexual. But because still, even to this day, even post-Obergefell, even in a nation where same-sex couples can marry in all 50 states and same-sex couples all over the country are having children and raising children, when we introduce someone to our same-sex partner, a lot of people, including gay, lesbian, and bi people who are fucking shot through with self-hatred, self-loathing, conflict, homophobia, internalized biphobia, look at that person and they don't see a life partner. They don't see a parent. They don't see a marital partner. They see a sex partner. And you just have to walk that back. You have to make a very conscious effort on your part to unwind that bullshit, to stop buying into that double standard, that when you have a boyfriend, of course he's a sex partner, but he's so much more. And that when you introduce him to other people, they can focus on the so much more and not the sex. So you're not broadcasting who you sleep with when you introduce a boyfriend, well, the same standard should apply when you're introducing your girlfriend, a same-sex partner. That if people only see the sex, if you only see the sex, that's the problem. They're the problem. You're the problem, caller, if they only and you only see the sex in that relationship. And what you're saying to your girlfriend right now with how you're treating her is she is just sex, that there is no social or emotional, romantic component, no partnership there in addition to the sexual connection and partnership. That's really insulting. That's really belittling. And I'm surprised you could find an out lesbian who would put up with that shit. You must eat pussy like a fucking champ. There must be something you bring to the table or the meeting of her thighs that just rocks her fucking world that she's willing to put up with this shit for now. But I promise you, she will not put up with this shit forever. So if you loves her and you want to keep her in your life and in your bed, start working on this. And by this, I don't mean the world. By this, I don't mean your girlfriend. By this, I mean you and the bullshit homophobic and biphobic double standards that you have bought into or are terrorized by and are buttressing and perpetuating. Knock it the fuck off or not. I respect your right to make your own choice, but this is a choice that you will soon be making as a single person to remain closeted about your bisexuality. If your girlfriend has any sense. Hi, Dan, this is regarding the woman who in conversations with friends and medical personnel has to defend her choice to use condoms in her monogamous relationships instead of an IUD or pill. These people, and apparently you, Dan, because you kind of agreed with them, want her to use birth control that demonstrates the societal misconception that women are responsible for birth control and pregnancy, while men get the best part of sex and not be minorly inconvenienced by properly using a condom. I had surgery to remove an IUD stuck in my uterine wall, and my best friend had a stroke from the pill. 
An IUD is in a uterus for five years or more. A condom is on a penis for what? Five, 10, 15, 20 minutes, depending on how you use it. The pill changes a woman's entire hormonal being. A condom does not. My husband and I, we are monogamous, now use condoms and the rhythmic method, and it works great for us. Ovary up men, wear a fucking condom. Wear it properly, and you can be creative and make it fun to put on. Combine it with other birth control methods. Do some research. Take responsibility for your swimming semen. Hi, Dan. I'm calling in response to episode 482 about the girl who, um, whose boyfriend's Indian parents are talking shit about her behind her back. Um, I just want to say that, you know, this is actually really common um, for for parents of boys to really, you know, uh, shame the women that they date. And so much so that it's um, part of a lot of tropes in old Indian movies and, uh, or, you know, poetry and even Indian classical music has a lot of that in it. So um, it's just really a common theme in the culture, unfortunately. And I also want to say that, you know, I am Indian and um, I've been accused of, you know, many of the same things by my boyfriend's parents um, of, you know, wanting to just being this loose girl of, you know, um, wanting to steal his money of, you know, trying to get pregnant and having him uh, have to stay with me, et cetera, et cetera. So all this to say, you know, don't take it personally at all. I'm sure you're not, but um, it really is just a very, very common thing in the culture, unfortunately. Hi, I am calling for the girl who is looking to have a threesome with two dudes and is worried about it being aggressive or demeaning in any way. And I just wanted to say that my experience with male-male female threesomes are absolutely the opposite. If anything, I have felt more like awesomely feminine and appreciated and in control and like a rock star than any mostly uh, many other sexual experiences that I've had so kill it and we're going to leave it there but before I give you the phone number to call with your questions and comments we have some programming notes we are recording Savage Love Live a special Valentine's Day show February 14th in Portland, Oregon at Revolution Hall go to portlandmercury.com slash Live. For tickets. Also, Hump, my little dirty film festival, is coming to you, all over you. Go to humpfilmfest.com for information about tickets and locations. We are coming to Pittsburgh, Los Angeles, Madison, Chicago, Montreal, Providence, and San Francisco, and other cities are being added. Keep an eye on humpfilmfest.com to see what we're coming to and on you. 206-302-2064 is the number here on the Savage Lovecast. If you want to record a question or comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206-302-2064. Follow me on Twitter, FakeFanSavage. Follow Bailey J on Twitter, at BaileyJ.S. Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech-savvy actress, Youth and Nancy. We will all be back after next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. 